Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is Wednesday night here at postwrestling.com. Thank you for tuning in. It is your evening of simultaneous shows where you can uh, listen to Rewind to Dynamite and up next concurrently. You have two ears. Wow. Yeah, I never, th- <laughs> I never thought about that. Um, what better well, way to Could you imagine like, if that would be a thing where you could split the feed in your headphones? I don't know why anyone would do that, but it feels like it's something that should be invented just for the sake of it. Mm. I mean, DJs kind of have to do that. They kind of have to listen to two things simultaneously to to cue things up. Um, If you have two turntables, why not put one podcast on one and another podcast on another? How about that? I think it could be really efficient. It could probably develop some skills if you would be able to uh, have to be able to uh, do, do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I was board hopping, like you kind of had to have that skill set to be able to hear one thing while you're listening to another as well. I would say it would be a great way to develop the skill of uh, ADD or even ADHD. Um, You know, good luck sitting down and meditating after getting used to that. Yeah, well, it's uh, maybe one day it it will be an option, but it isn't today. So you've chosen us. uh, So thank you. Lots to discuss tonight. It is AEW's first ever go-home show for a pay-per-view. First episode of Dynamite to set up a show on Saturday uh, with full gear coming up. And I know what you're thinking. You're telling yourself, man, Saturday, it's full gear. And here I'm staring in the mirror and I don't have full gear. I wish that someone would take a post-wrestling t-shirt and write down the address that would go to my home and I could be the lucky post-wrestling contest winner. Well, you know what? I happen to be a post-wrestling cafe member. So that means every Wednesday night, my name is in a draw to win a t-shirt that would make me full gear. And that person, that that half-naked person out there, way, our winner, are you ready to roll the tumbler and determine who is our winner? Very good, John. I'm more than ready. Let's go. All right, here we go. is going deep the winner of the post wrestling t-shirt slash prize pack giveaway is congratulations to gertej gertej out of vancouver bc congratulations to you uh you win a post wrestling combo pack you know what it's winter rather than give out a t-shirt i'm gonna give you gertej a toque a lovely post wrestling toque either the pom-pom toque or the regular toque you choose. It's up to you. Uh, it is getting very chilly out here in Canada or anywhere else in the world. So go get your toques right now for toque season at store.postwrestling.com. They are uh, toque sweet. Thank you. They're great toques, by the way. I have both of them. I would not be endorsing this if I didn't believe in this. I, I wear them all winter long. The black one, it also is like a one-size-fits-all because... Uh, Max, we had misplaced his winter hat 
So he's been wearing that one for the past week. And You're it kidding. fits him perfectly. Yeah, it oh fits him. Oh, my God. You got to send me a picture. That's hilarious. I, I have a picture I will I will send oh, you. But yeah, I awesome. saw him, and he's wearing it, and it's like it's it, it totally fits. So it's uh, I didn't even realize it had it's all the same hat I can wear. A two-year-old can wear. It's amazing. Incredible. Lovely. I would love that. <laughs> Are you going to send a, another Christmas card this year? I don't know. I don't know the answer. Christmas oh. is uh, like it's still far away, but we're we're into Christmas season now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just curious because that would be, make a great picture. Dad and son wearing the same post wrestling toque. Well, I only have one, so I'll get. I, I could fix that for you. Do you know a guy? I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, we're going to uh, dive into news and get into that, and then we will get to dynamite. Uh, lots to discuss tonight, so. Let us start with uh, some of the the pressing items that are out there. It has been it, it has been a minute since Way and I talked. I feel it's been long, but it was only since uh, yesterday that we dis- we talked. But it feels longer, Way. Didn't really to me, but um, yeah. Well then, well, <laughs> we talk every day, dude. We talk like sometimes more than more than once a day for multiple hours. So, well, um, someone that's nice. going to. Someone that's going to be sticking around for multiple years is Randy Orton. He has signed a multi-year contract extension. This coming from Mike Johnson at PWInsider.com. And then this was uh, formally announced on the WWE Backstage Show. We'll get into that as well. Uh, Several years, Orton stating that he will be there through at least 2024. Uh, He's 39 years old, so this is going to take him well into his 40s and I guess, obviously, Randy Orton was certainly at least doing the, the public posturing, and I think any any one of his kind of uh, name value is going to uh, dangle that. Uh, did you ever see any any scenario where this guy would have left the WWE, given you know the, the enormous offers that are going out there on WWE's behalf? You would think that they earmarked a sizable portion to retain Randy Orton. Anything would have been possible. You know, um, but I, I certainly. Def- if, let, let me ask you this: If you were, if you got an enormous offer from WWE, which you would have to expect, and AEW sees that figure, and it's it's a big big number, are you are you debating that internally? If you're AEW, or are you just looking at a guy that at his age and is that a guy we're going to commit significant dollars to over a multi-year period? Because not only did he probably want a high dollar amount, but also term as well. I would personally say no, but I mean, you know, every, I do feel like if Orton were to jump to AEW, that would sort of be a big, very big name on the level of a Chris Jericho that could potentially make a big difference to, you know, let's say a WWE fan who hasn't given AEW a, a, a chance yet, but I personally never really bought it. You know, I, I didn't really see this, his his posturing publicly as anything really more than that. Um, and I, I feel this was ultimately what he wanted all along. I think, uh, you know, I'm sure if like WWE didn't give him a good offer, he would have loved, you know, certainly would have gone to, to AEW or, or, or considered it seriously. But I don't think there's any chance WWE wouldn't give him what he wanted. Because for a number of years now, like Randy has been, you know, he, he's always been near that main event mix. Uh, they did put the, the title on him when he did that, that whole Bray Wyatt feud uh, a couple of years back. Do you see with him now 
signed for five years, do you see him being a more prominent fixture in that that main event mix? And instead of you know, he's always a, a very protected guy, but al- almost like he's on an island. Like Randy Orton's always going to have his storyline; he'll always be featured, but he's not always in front and center of your title mix. I personally feel that he'll he will continue pretty much you know the same type of role he's been playing over the past several years, and that's a guy that you can rely on for big matches when you need. Um, but then I kind of feel like he'll largely be in the background. I think that'll largely be dictated according to how much the audience demands. Uh, you know, a Randy Orton big main event run. I I think you know beyond him coming in for the occasional RKO, I don't know if there's that much of a demand for an, a sustained Randy Orton title run these days not when you have so many other other options you know of, of fresher newer talent that i think your audiences want to see given those those chances i feel orton will continue to, to just you know play a veteran's role that you can rely on from time to time to you know spark interest for you know let's say an up-and-coming person like kofi kingston yeah and also you would have to imagine what is his schedule going to be like he has been on a you can see he's been on a reduced schedule for a while. You would think that continues as well, that how how active is he going to be over these five years as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm assuming he's not getting paid uh, anything but uh, very high figures. So I, I would imagine, you know, unless he would be on... Uh, do you think that, that he would be, you know, have a special privileged uh, uh, schedule? Much like you know somebody like a Brock Lesnar or, or, or uh, otherwise, I wouldn't say like a Brock Lesnar, but I think getting you know he's already like you know gets you know significant less dates um, by choice. I think that's been there for a while, so I would imagine he continues that. I get. I guess my final question on this: Do you see him wrestling this and wrestling out this contract? Do you think he is still active at this level five years from now? Five years from now, I mean, if he stays healthy, yeah, I do, I do see that. Um, we haven't, you know, I, I, I don't really know the exact status of, of of his health, but you know, from all accounts, it seems to be perfectly fine right now. So, five years, I, I could still see him doing this. Yeah, I, I always wonder when, when guys are like starting to wind down, and you look at like life after wrestling, like if Randy Orton wanted a job within WWE. Where could you envision Randy Orton? I think he'd be great. Well, I mean, is is the agenting thing for him? Is that what you mean? I mean, I don't know if his skills may necessarily... I don't know how he is as a coach. There's so many things I have no idea. But I would say, I think in, in terms of a coach with... Uh, as far as presence, as far as even promo ability, I think he, he could potentially be great. But I have no idea how good he is in that role. Well, uh, that's uh, everything on Randy Orton. Uh, We move over to uh, this entire Seth Rollins story from the past couple of days. uh, This stemming from the talent meeting at Raw on Monday. And on Monday, uh, Dave Meltzer had reported in his daily news update some uh, bullet points from the talent meeting. And he included the line that Seth Rollins had attempted to do a rah-rah speech while telling people to keep things like this off social media in the future. The next day, Rollins refuted the story with uh, a number of posts on Twitter, and then he spoke to Fightful.com and gave the following statement to clarify uh, what his uh, participation was in this meeting. 
and the context of it, he said to Fightful, Vince and Triple H held an all-talent meeting to explain the travel situation returning from Crown Jewel. They commended the talent for their conduct in a tough spot and fielded questions and allowed anyone to voice their feelings on the matter. Some talent spoke up, and overall, it was a productive forum. I said zero words. I made no speech. Pretty simple. And since then, Dave Meltzer has issued an apology and a retraction over this. But uh, I thought this was important for us to note as well because we did bring this up on Monday night and – you know, this was obviously uh, inaccurate at the time that Rollins spoke up during this locker room meeting. I think it's an important reminder, you know, for ourselves, for anybody consuming any type of news to be skeptical, no matter maybe how trusted the source is traditionally. And certainly I hold Dave like in the highest regard with, I mean, an incredible average over the course of several many years. But even somebody like Dave can be fed false information. Uh, and it's an important reminder that, you know, a lot of what we discuss, a lot of what you might read on the Internet elsewhere um, can't necessarily be taken for face value 100 percent of the time. And, I, you know, what I do like about this was that Rollins spoke up and I, 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 I would love for talent to speak up more often when they hear news stories that are inaccurate. Um, I mean, if they are able to. Um, I don't know. Did you find that uh, interesting or unique that Rollins, you know, gave a statement to Fightful? I, I, I find it always refreshing when anyone speaks on the record because I think that that's, you know, uh, a real – it's a frustrating part from my perspective when so many people will never speak on the record. And you understand that people are in certain positions where they don't uh, – they don't want their names attached to things and that's where you, you, you just – find that you know you have unnamed people so anytime someone can be on the record i mean that is going to be the reporter's preference obviously and so for him to uh attach his name to this i i think that that's something i would like to see more of and not this mentality that uh the media is this enemy and we will not even uh just the idea of speaking to the media is considered this uh this horrific act so uh, I, I don't know if this is going to uh, spur any more open dialogue between uh, performers and, you know, specifically WWE, which I think has a, a much firmer grasp on uh, kind of keeping their talent at, a, at an arm's distance from certain media. So, no, I, I was glad that Rollins addressed it. It was open and it was, you know, and Dave retracted it. He apologized for it and the truth came out. So... Um, yeah. A any other thoughts on this? No, I think, I think it's also an important lesson for people like us, John, about what to do in times when we're wrong. And I think that's to properly, you know, issue these retractions, both on your podcast and also, uh, on, on the website, which Dave did very promptly. So, um, it's, you know, there are a lot of people trying to do this stuff right now. And I, I, I'm very thankful that I work with, with somebody like you, who I consider to be one of the best doing it. Um, but I feel like they're, they're because there's so many people do, doing it, not necessarily everybody from a journalistic background, it's very easy to not know what to do properly in these situations. So, I mean, I take it as a learning experience for myself and I hope, uh, other podcasters and other wrestling journalists do the same. Yeah. And you know, any, any time that there is a report out there that if we don't have it confirmed, uh, we will either state that or just strictly not run it. Um, you know, it's. It sometimes you you look at the source. I consider Dave Meltzer a very trusted 
uh, authority. Uh, and therefore, you know, we did cite this as a report on Monday, but believe me, there is, uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot we could discuss about this, but there is, there's no one that is doing this uh, full time that, uh, event from any, uh, prominent website out there that is, that, that takes this stuff lightly or just throws stuff out there with, with no care for the truth. It could not be further. Um, that's something that I think anyone doing this takes uh, great pride in that, that does it at, uh, I think, you know, the outlets out there that are trusted ones. Yes. I would, I would add that caveat. Yes. Um, cause I definitely feel like there are some websites that I don't know, aren't, aren't as careful or maybe even purposely try to, I, I think people definitely know the ones that I'm talking about, the, yeah. you know, the trusted ones that are out there and the wrestling observer fightful would be two of those. Yes. So, um, did you get a chance to hear any of uh, Corey Graves on After the Bell today? He did bring up the, the Saudi Arabia uh, travel issues from the past couple of days. Uh, did you catch any of that? I only caught a, a recap, uh, but I, ha- I didn't hear it myself. So please uh, inform me. So, I mean, uh, you can, you know, I know that there are probably divisive opinions to what he said. First thing is, I commend him for acknowledging this and not just uh skirting past it or ignoring it outright. I mean, we talked about uh, last week, uh, I think the fact that you did have Paul Levesque on there immediately after all of the Jordan Miles uh, issues over the weekend. I think that that was something where it was just, it was not addressed. So this week, you know, this was a, this was a major story. This was the major story. And Corey Graves did address it right off the bat. Um, He made several points here. About uh, and I'm just going to read this this recap uh, over at uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet um, that has transcribed it. So Corey Graves explained that uh, we were all on our seats, ready for takeoff. This is on late on the uh, Thursday night slash Friday morning when they were initially supposed to take off. He said there was some confusion regarding the pilots. I was seated in the upper deck. Right outside of the cockpit, pilots were going back and forth. There was some sort of a mechanical issue. I'm not an airline pilot. I can barely – okay, this is uh, – they shut the plane down, restarted it to see whatever they were attempting to work, to, to fix worked. It had not worked in the time it took for all of us to get down. The flight crew timed out, and we were all informed that we would not be taking off, so they deplaned. So that was the the first issue that they ran into, and from there, uh, they ran into more issues here. So – uh, the travel snafu, as we were calling it internally, it was weird, definitely unusual. We got to the airport immediately after the Crown Jewel event. There were a litany of delays, and no one seemed to get a surefire answer as to what was causing the delays. There were literally 10 or 15 different reasons why we couldn't get on the plane. Everyone was exhausted. We just wanted to get on the plane, get some sleep, and get ready to head back to the States uh, for SmackDown in Buffalo. And then he went on to explain how they had the separate charter, which you know he took issue uh, with the talent that we're tweeting out and talking about uh, this idea that it was the top 20 people in the company. And that was how they decided. And that was not the case. And I, I think everyone realized that. Like, I, I didn't see, t- like, maybe there were, uh, I, I know that that hashtag was certainly going around. And those references were definitely made by some of the talent. But I think especially when the names came out of who was on, like, obviously, it was the SmackDown talent that was, you know, the priority to get there. And Graves was on that charter as well because he had to call SmackDown. And, you know, Graves was critical of some of the talent that were uh, tweeting this out. And 
allowing people to run with different theories on everything that happened. He also claimed that, you know, Vince McMahon, he left at the same time he always does after a show he had left. And we mentioned this on Monday um, because Dave Meltzer had reported the time that Vince flew out. And it was about, uh, as I recall, it was about two hours before or and change before the talent was set to fly out. So it didn't seem like he was leaving any earlier than usual. That's what Corey Graves said. And that seems to be the um, accepted story there that Vince McMahon left the same time he would have any show. And from there, you know, he, he didn't really get into anything beyond that. But he clearly took exception to those that were kind of painting Vince McMahon in a certain light. And also, you know, some criticism towards the talent for um, complaining online and pretty much downplaying that these are just travel problems and this is, you know, kind of part of the job. So, you know, he's going to get a mixed reaction from that that kind of uh, reaction as well. And I, I think we're, we're I think ultimately it's it's a very small number of people that are going to know what what was really at hand here. Was there. Um, was there a deliberate attempt to just uh, create this runaround for the talent that was stuck there and all of these issues uh, coming out of nowhere? Were they legitimate issues that caused them to stay there? Were they man- manufactured issues? I-, I don't think like the talent was going to get a memo saying, hey, we're doing this on purpose to bother you. I, I think that it's um, ultimately it's a small number that know and Vince McMahon would be one of those people. And he you know, was at that talent meeting just stating mechanical issues. So that's where right. we are. I, I, this is not, uh, you know, much advancement in terms of the story. Yeah. And I don't honestly, again, don't really know if we're going to get much more beyond what, 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 it, how it exists right now. I, I mean, I find, you know, lead, hearing some of the, those statements from uh, Graves, which I'm really glad to, to hear him talk seemingly at length about something like this, when I think last week may be a little bit disappointing that, you know, more wasn't spoken about uh, the big news of that week, and especially if he had Triple H on. This week, it seemed like he was tackling the issue head on, talking about it. And I mean, look, we're talking about it right now as part of the news segment. So it, it, it's kind of making the podcast living up to its name. Um, but, you know, it's I mean, I find the most interesting thing to be Corey here kind of almost admonishing, you know, the the the, the, the roster that did speak up about it on Twitter. And getting upset about it, this was almost like him telling them, you know, stop complaining on Twitter uh, because you're a professional wrestler. And if you're upset about not being part of this 20, you're you're definitely overblowing, blowing it out of proportion. So it seems like the, the blame, at least for, uh, from for something like this, seemed to be more on the talent rather than, um, you know. I would say, which to me is he's coming or, at or the, the media. He's coming at it from the perspective of it paints WWE in a bad light that they get this negative attention. I would be looking at it from the case of if there were talent over there that truly believed that there were extenuating circumstances that were leading to all of this. Um, I don't want to keep quiet about it. I don't want this to be just uh, t- uh, swept under the rug and ignored uh, when we're when we're stuck here. And, you know, I've seen a lot of the performers, they have emphasized this, the fact that they were never in any danger. You know, they were taken care of well. Like, I don't think anyone is disputing that. Like, that is – I don't think anyone 
that has reasonably followed this story believed that there was some kind of hostage situation here or there was anyone that was in any immediate danger or anything like that. That was not the case. It was were were they delayed? Uh, beyond, was this some kind of a power play? And we can delay your talent getting back and create all of these problems that Corey said in this thing that there were 10 or 15 issues that they heard of uh, during this whole thing. So I, I, I don't think this can close the door definitively one way or the other. I, I, I'm not confident saying either side. Yeah. And I wouldn't think about it, uh, you know, as that coming from a WWE sponsored podcast, like, you know, Corey could be very well telling his own truth, but I also don't, don't discount that this, you know, reads very much like it's a corporate kind of a statement on the issue um, from a corporate produced podcast. So, you know, it's, it certainly uh, seems like it's one side of the story, maybe even a definitive side, depending on how, what you choose to believe. But um, I, I mean, I, I, it's a WWE podcast in the end. So I, yeah. I don't know if I, you know, fully trusted hundred percent, even though it could be the truth. I just have to, he, be he also added that, uh, in regards to the rumors, I've heard the same ones. I can neither confirm, confirm nor deny some aspects of those things, but I'm not in the business of rumor mongering. And then he went on to uh, describe his firsthand account. So um, that that was kind of a vague line in there, not being specific to any of the rumors, because obviously there were numerous ones. All right. So moving on from that to WWE Backstage debuted officially on – Tuesday night, um, after the the two kind of uh, episodes that were part of the soft launch. So going back, October 15th, they premiered following the ALCS and did 597,000 viewers on FS1. Then they had their second episode, October 25th, which is right after SmackDown, 426,000 viewers. Last night's premiere, featuring Shawn Michaels, John Cena, and Rob Gronkowski advertised ahead of time, 49,000 viewers. That makes zero sense to me. I can't fathom how it did such a low number. Like, obviously, not having the ALCS or SmackDown proper as a lead-in was going to uh, not, you know, I I didn't think it was going to do 49,000 viewers. I said, okay, maybe we're looking at, you know, low six figures, but I'm thinking... We got to be doing 200 to 250 for our first episode here. You would, you would think. Yeah, I certainly would. Um, like did you catch any worse, of it? I, I did not. Uh, oh, I saw the, the, the Bray Wyatt thing, which was a, an addition of the Firefly Funhouse where he debuted his new side plates. So yeah, I saw that. Um, like and- it certainly feels much closer to like a WWE in-house style of show rather than a, and I have not watched uh, the entire episode, but, you know, just from the clips you can see and from the the prior two episodes that that aired as well. Like you can certainly see what like when this started and this is, you know, Jim Ross has come out and said that early on he was offered a position to to host this show. And you, you would imagine Jim Ross would not be hosting this style of show. And the fact that they were having CM Punk audition and it seems like that has that is not happening either. It just feels like there is uh, tonally a much different um, presentation of the show than they may have envisioned at, at one point to be more of a to be more of kind of I can't say fully third party news show, but 
m- much closer to to that rather than just being a a WWE show. Seems like a mix kind of between, you know, sort of behind the curtain but also kind of keeping kayfabe. Um I is there a market for it? I think I think I I thought well, there, let me ask you this. I, there I mean, would be. do you do you feel that like Corey Graves addressing the the Saudi Arabia would would that be more suited for your backstage show? Like that uh, um, d- that was a great example of what will be covered on the podcast versus what will be covered on the studio show. I think you can get away with a whole lot more in in the me- podcast medium because it's 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 just it's a lot more intimate. You know the way that that they produce these Fox shows is like it's a big set and just but what's more important to succeeding. Well, I don't know if you necessarily need to set the bar to you know discuss every sensitive issue if you're the WWE just to pop a rating for this particular show. I don't think they expected that they needed to do that. Uh, you know before this seeing the rate results this week. And um, ultimately, I don't know if they need to, but I mean, I'm really curious to know how the show does next week before, like, you know, really hit, setting, hitting the panic button on it. Um, could be that people just don't know about the show, didn't know that it was airing at that time. Um, it seems to me like they are going more for just sort of like a fun variety hour with like, it, you know, in storyline interviews, plus like, I don't know, uh, fun promo bits for a very casual audience. That and, ne- and they're going to do news bits as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would really like to see whether or not to this week's issue was just people not knowing, well, you know, uh, when the show was airing, or if it's people actually not caring about the show, or maybe a bit of both. Yeah. Well, Tuesday night it was a terrible night for WWE programming. You had that number, and then Total Divas was down to one hundred and ninety-one thousand viewers. That's down thirty-two and a half percent, and. Yes, there were some college games on Tuesday night, but last week they went against the World Series and did 283,000 viewers. I have no idea why this was down so significantly. This was by far the lowest Total Divas number in history uh, and by a wide margin. Um, so I, I don't know what it was about the, this Tuesday night. Was this just uh, an anomaly on Tuesday night? Uh, I don't know what it is. Is it just there's so much product that people are checking checking out on Tuesday nights for programming because they just did not have any interest in this. Could be. I mean, shit. I I have no idea. I don't know. It's uh. Why are you not watching Total Divas this season? Maybe you're a good person to ask. I mean, because I, you were one of the few that was following. Well, I, I I will watch like occasionally if I have the time, you know, to catch up with my girlfriend. It's just like stupid stupid TV that we watch just kind of for fun. Um. But I'll say it's not been as good of a season as previous. And for me, a big part of that is because I think the Bellas are actually sorely missed on this show. Not that they had mm-hmm. like huge presences previously, but like all the, the stars, all the seasons of Total Bellas have been better than this. And I can say definitely Ronda Rousey is very unlikable on this show. Oh, like, really? Her and Travis Brown are just the, oh, it's just like, I hate seeing them to, like together. They're just always talking about like making babies and just oh they're so dislikable so i don't know how much of a draw she really is much of the other story obviously lines, not any on yeah. this season this is the lowest season by a, a big amount like this ronda's done nothing to pump up this franchise you know the rest of the cast i mean it very much feels like uh like any other season to be quite honest with you they're t- t- telling a lot more about sonya deville's stories with with her uh <laughs> And uh, having a float in like a pride parade, like 
if weeks before crown jewel i mean yes. anyway all that uh and it's just like is not really all that captivating to be honest but i don't know how much that has to do with with the sinking ratings this week around because i mean last season really wasn't all that captivating either so maybe it's just people finally having enough or maybe having better things to do than than watching this show on, on a tuesday night I mean, like th- this whole season has been down, but this week in particular was just uh, down at a much, much larger level. So, yeah, we- we'll see next Tuesday if if both backstage and Total Divas uh, see some rebound because maybe this was just some weird anomaly this week. But um, yeah, truly, uh, very, very low numbers. Last thing here is New Japan's World Tag League. They have announced the sixteen teams. Uh, this will start November sixteenth, and it's going to feature. The tag champions, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tanahashi and Toa Hanare, Evil and Sonata, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi, uh, El Terrible and Shingo Takagi, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer, Kenta and Yujiro, Togi Makabe and Tomoki Honma, Zack Sabre Jr. with Taichi, Kojima and Tenzan, Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi, Juice Robinson, David Finley, Hiroki Goto, Carl Fredericks, Colt Cabana and Toru Yano, Jeff Cobb, Mikey Nichols, and finally, Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens. So this will lead into the finals December 8th, and then the winners will get the, well, traditionally, they get the tag title shot at the Tokyo Dome show. And, uh, you know, notable absence are, you know, the guys that are booked on those two nights already at the Tokyo Dome with Okada, Ibushi, Naito, and Jay White. Uh, and Will Ospreay's tournament run comes to an end. So the guy gets to rest for at least three weeks. Thank goodness. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I mean, as far as the tag league itself, I, I, I don't really have that much interest in it. Um, at best, it'll just create contenders for a mid card title match. Um, and on the body of like, you know, five hour, six hour show. Um, the most interesting thing is that Jeff Cobb and Cole Cabana are in this. Sure, you're right. Yeah, that's right. So, what do you do? You, what do you think that signifies? I mean, it's at least. You know something uh, where you are getting Ring of Honor representation on the what's, on this. What's Colt's deal? Because like he's on NWA, he's doing certain New Japan shows. Like, does he have a typical ROH deal or no? Uh, obviously not exclusive in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to do NWA, um, but you would think that this is uh, you know, these are ROH representations for this tournament, right? So. Hmm. And and yeah, Cobb is under a deal to ROH. So anyway, that, that's maybe the most notable thing. But yeah, I, I don't find this to be the most uh, inspiring lineup. And you know, this is a typical World Tag League for New Japan. It's not usually um, it's a, a chance that gets a whole lot of fanfare. It's a chance to give you know your your main eventers breaks, which is fine. Um, I guess it just it's a chance to give the audience a break too. Yes, so that kicks off November the 16th, and now we can head into Dynamite from Charlotte, North Carolina on Wednesday night at the Bojangles Coliseum. Oh, my favorite. Man, if this ever gets uh, bought out and it's... uh, Didn't we have this discussion what what Bojangles is? Yeah, I feel like we we just did like weeks ago. Did WWE run a show here? No, I think they announced that they were going to be running the... Oh, Chicken and Biscuits. Chicken and Biscuits. Okay. Okay. So there you go. An American regional chain. Uh, So we start off the show with, uh, first of all, a very lively crowd. Uh, As I think is expected with AEW shows as of late. 
I got my requisite feedback on Tuesday morning. From Long Islanders? Oh, I was in the crowd. Sounded fine to me. It's like, okay, cool. I, I must, me and everyone else watching this show, must have, our ears must have been clogged on, on Monday night as we were watching this show. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe he was it's, at a It's very different. When, when you're in the crowd, your area might be, might be very lively. Does not mean it's going to come across that way on television. So oh, at the same time, he's right to, you know, tell us about his personal experience. Sure. I don't, I don't think he's, you know, disputing you necessarily, but just more so giving his perspective. So we had Pack versus Trent to start things off. Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy were out with Trent. They go to the floor. Trent got nailed into the barricade and dumped over. Uh, crowd was just electric here. It's yeah. all pack. Including yeah. our, our man Sports FYI in the post-wrestling shirt. Shout out. Yes. Yeah, we were well represented at the Bojangles Coliseum. Uh, pack goes to set up a dive, but then Cassidy gets into the ring, and this place goes nuts for him. He does the the shitty kicks while Bryce Remsburg is distracted with Chuck Taylor, and it was just ridiculous. <laughs> Chuck Taylor was... Pretty much doing like just waving his hands in the air and going back and forth. And Bryce just had to keep his back turned. As- I thought Remsburg was really funny. And I mean, this is like the type of thing that can rub people the wrong way if you're expecting just like straight up sports. But I mean, I look at a, a an Orange Cassidy spot and even a best friends match largely as sort of the comedy break in the show. Um, and I thought, I mean, I was very entertained. Yeah, I, I. <laughs> I always enjoy the uh, Orange Cassidy on these shows. I I think he's been like a really great part of you know the, these the mid card scene in AEW. This guy, these reactions are fantastic that he gets. And here, like I thought, I thought every it totally worked because it was just like Pack kicking him straight in the face, not taking any of this shit. Got yeah. great heat for it, so you know the fans get their Orange Cassidy spot, and then Pack managed manages to use it to for great heat attacking him. So everybody wins. I thought. Trent comes back, half and half suplex, Topicon Hero to the floor, but then eats a spear. There was this awesome tornado DDT by Trent, and watching Pac sell this thing was phenomenal. It was just great. Uh, Pac landed a brain buster on the floor and then hits the black arrow, and Bryce holds up his count at two. Trent has not kicked out of this. His shoulders are down, and it's just like a record scratch moment here at the end. And Pac just immediately transitions to the Brutalizer and wins by submission in 11 minutes and 42 seconds. Very awkward finish and included an immediate cutaway to the crowd during this this count. So I don't know if it was... Uh, Bryce, knowing that it was supposed to be a submission finish or where their wires got crossed, but... um, you know, they recovered as best as possible with Pac just instantly going to the submission and then ending the match. It's a shame because I thought the rest of the match turned out really well up until It was a very point. good match. Yeah. So, but something definitely screwed up here. I don't know who really was to blame. But, I mean, uh, you know, like you know in the WWE, they tell the referees to count count the threes if the shoulders are on the mat no matter what. And Because perhaps- this, made, this made the ref look bad, not the performers. Yes, I would say it made the. I mean, it made the whole match look look bad, and I mean, it's the Black Arrow, which I think should be like a big finisher. So I don't know why he didn't count to three. I don't know if the, like, I don't think Trent should have been kicking out anyway. But that's no, not not a big whatever. And I I don't think he would have if this was. I mean, in Pat's mind, um, who knows? Um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but, but you know, an unfortunate misstep that I, I I'm hoping whoever was at fault here can can learn from. Pack then just tells everyone to shut up. And 
You couldn't really tell if Pac was like upset about this after the match because it's just his regular demeanor. So it He's didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, it just it was fine whether he was or wasn't. But I, I did think his immediate thinking on his feet and going to the brutalizer, it it wasn't like, you know, deer in the headlights reaction either. Like he kind of had that that veteran presence or or yeah. you know, thinking it through to just get to the finish. Pac tells everyone to shut up. He heard Hangman Page last week. He's going to make an example of him again this Sunday in Baltimore. Shortened to the point and would not be our last sight of Pac tonight. Great intensity in the promo. Uh, I thought he looked like a, to me, like a real star in the body of the match. Um, I enjoyed how they fit the Cassidy stuff in there. And, you know, Trent did really well here, um, all, all told. I, th- I think, you know, the best friends are quickly becoming a, a standout mid-card act. Uh, during the break, we saw Dark Order and Private Party getting ready for their match coming up later. And then Tony Schiavone welcomed out Cody for a big promo. And they mentioned that Cody was born here in Charlotte. And Cody proceeds to list off past promoters slash wrestlers, Eddie Graham, Cowboy Bill Watts, and the big one, Dusty Rhodes, that gets the loudest reaction here. And everyone's chanting for him. Cody says they were titans in this business. They were big box office. But they were also management, just like he is. And they would be looked down upon because of this dual role. He calls AEW Ellis Island for a pro wrestler. It represents freedom. He hears the criticism of being management while in a title match. So he is announcing if he does not beat Chris Jericho at full gear, then he will never challenge for the AEW championship again. He's been called an entitled millennial bitch by Jericho. Mentions a lion's tale, Jericho's first book, which he notes is available on Amazon for $3 and says how the criticisms Jericho has made of him having a silver spoon in his mouth. Never is Jericho bringing up his own upper middle class uh, upbringing as the son of an NHL player. And he's guilty of the same criticisms and calls him. uh, What did he call him here? A carny succubus. Succubus. Yeah. Who who needs this generation more than they need him. Yes. He says, this is about my family, my wife, my mom, my sisters. He's like getting uh, teary-eyed here. And it's been 14 years to prove that he's gone way from undesirable to undeniable. Okay. He made it sound so cool here. I, I really forgive like – man, the – the, the clear branding of his segment uh, working its way in here. Did you see the one with uh, Jimmy Havoc this week? I have not, no. So they start recording it, and then like all of, a, all of a sudden they cut to like the interview has moved from the inside of the arena to um, like the concessions. And they explain because music started to play in the arena and they were, they were kicked out. Um, they were undesirable. Yeah, yeah, in this particular instance. I mean, you know... Oh, did they acknowledge it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cody, oh, okay. like Cody straight up said, oh, we, we, we couldn't continue. I mean, I, I I think it's a little... It can be a little too much, like the way they, they try to force maybe that catchphrase in. But here, it, it worked perfectly, and it sounded really cool. And at the end, uh, this was uh, certainly setting stuff up for the future, teased the match beyond... When eventually the inner circle and the elite will collide. This was a phenomenal promo. Jim Ross at the end of this just says, amazing. This was a very, just a tremendous 
go home promo from Cody and uh yeah this this was great I thought hell of a promo um I think I think the best one in AEW short history thus far I thought this was better than Jericho's in episode two when he introduced the inner circle um you know I really that was have, very good I really have to dig back but I think one of the best of Cody's career he had the comfort and the confidence of a veteran beyond his years he really did feel like his father's son when he was speaking here I thought he was amazing uh, Jim Cornette called this the New version of the Hard Times promo. He loved this. It was fantastic. And I love the stipulation. Very simple, very believable. Greatly increases the stakes for this already really hot title match. So, uh, yeah, tremendous, tremendous segment here from Cody. What do you think about the the stipulation that they have added here? There is, uh, I, I really like the adding of this stipulation because it makes it feel that you're there, there is consequences of a win and a loss uh, in this match. Either Cody is guaranteeing that he's going to win the title or he's losing. And it would be the springboard for an MJF turn. But I, I don't know. I, I feel maybe they are just going to keep that one on, on the back burner. But that would certainly be a reason to detour Cody. And then he has to – this could be his big um, struggle is to somehow – is he's frozen out of the championship picture. I like how, you know, we're we're going to be anticipating an MJF turn anytime there's like a a big show. Um, but I personally think they're gonna keep this thing going for like a year. Because I think it's too good to just give up right now. Where do you go afterwards, you know? I guess you can go to the match, but like I mean, I think that, that program you could do a, a, a bit further down the line. I I like the stipulation a lot. You know? Um it's Do, do you feel that this was uh Cody sitting down and catching up on NWA power. Not really. No, I mean, I mean, it is the same stipulation, but I mean, I'm sure he would have like, cause he, they probably would have planned this weeks ahead. Right. And it's hardly like, you know, um, that uncommon in wrestling and Cody announced like he was about to make this, like they, 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 they scripted it so that he was supposed to have been announced it last week. Yes. Yeah. Why? I, I guess like you just have to really look at this guy like he has a lot of integrity here. But this is a hell of a stipulation to put on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's that confident. The Lucha Brothers come out and they're here to watch the next match and they're followed by Frankie. It, it was it was funny because the Lucha Brothers came out in suits during the break and you made them you might have missed it during the picture in picture, but I don't think we ever saw them again. I'm guessing they were just standing somewhere. Yeah, they didn't really make it known that they were there unless you were really paying attention to the uh, commercial break, picture in picture. Yeah, we it was standing room only here because Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky came to the announce area and they had to stand to do commentary for this match. These poor guys couldn't even get chairs. Man, these wrestlers, like their backs are probably just in terrible pain. And they had to stand here for... Not a short match. So this was officially the third place match coming out of the <laughs> complete tournament. with with <laughs> with the, medals. They had third place bronze medals for the winners of this match. These are like really shitty looking like dollar store third place medals that you would get for like I don't know like essentially like a participation award in like a cross country thing. Um, <laughs> if private party has to wear these, man, are they going to look like geeks? Who would want to? Really? Like, it would work maybe for, like, a comedy job or tag team, but I 
I also have to like why why wouldn't they do this match before the championship match? Um, well, isn't it, that usually happen? Like the bronze medal game takes place before the the final championship game. Uh, in sports, yes. Okay, well, well, we're we're coming down from that that big final <laughs> last week, so. Um, All right, whatever. You know, they also wanted to make it clear here that the winners would be advancing to take on the Lucha Brothers and Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. So hard to do this before where you're pretty much giving the third place a title shot before the finals. You know what I mean? I do understand, but I mean And then you and then you have to explain that in the finals, the losers are guaranteed a title match at the pay-per-view. But that's exactly what happened. That is what happened, but I think in the order of which they did it, you're coming off of the match as opposed to going in with the rematch already built in. All right. I mean, it's You've minor. Convinced me. You've convinced I, me. I didn't mind it that much, but I understand what you mean. So uh, Cassidy is nailing uh, Grayson with forearms until he's hit with a urinagi. We get the commercial break as the Dark Order posed with their minions on the floor to the people. Uh, Quen hit a Topicon hero, nearly overshot the Dark Order, and then Quen suplexed, uh, it was suplexed into Cassidy in the corner, and we got the combination cannonball 450 splash from Uno and Grayson. Quen kicked out of that, then Arana sends Uno into Grayson, Cassidy's in, Silly String, Gin and Juice, and Grayson takes the fall from Mark Quen. So we got Private Party taking on the Lucha Brothers and the champions Kazarian and Scorpio Sky on Saturday. Decent match. Another good showcase, I thought, for both teams. Um, and that's about it. Not that memorable for me, to be honest. Yeah, it was. Uh, it certainly didn't hit the level of some of the other standout matches from the tournament, definitely. Then we got this video that had been sent in by Chris Jericho, and the announcers were given no notes about what is on this video. They just had to hit play. This was very and- memorable. Oh my God. So Chris Jericho is seated at a table and it's, it's clearly done to mock Cody's scene with Brandy where Sammy Guevara is coming in with the champagne and Jericho is deep in thought and just tuning out Sammy Guevara. I thought like there is something subtle, like they're not hitting you over the head, like what it's referencing, but everyone knows that has been following what he's making fun of. And then he goes up and kisses Sammy Guevara. Oh, it was just. Man, <laughs> let's just go through this video because I I can't remember laughing out loud as often as I did here. There were so many little things in this. So then we go into like this full like mockumentary style feature where Sammy Guevara is doing the testimonial while we're watching Chris Jericho sitting in a bathtub. And Guevara's got like there was such great writing in this. And we talk about like comedy that misses this was like comedy that just hit constantly in this he's Guevara says that Chris Jericho is the youngest AEW champion ever he's a father-like figure and then we cut to Virgil identified Soul Train Jones who says that he's known Chris since he was 12 and he's just as driven now as he was when he was 12 and Jericho's talent is like the Olive Garden breadsticks, unlimited. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. The best moment of the Wednesday Night Wars thus far. Okay, so then we go to Patricia Bobsky, who is identified as Chris's aunt's friend. Now, From if church. you've read Chris... 
Sorry? From, from church. church. Yes, from church. If you've read Jericho's book, he's explained this. But um, I first got this joke when we had Chris Jericho in studio once. And I, I, I got, like, Lance Storm to, like, call in to pretend he was a caller. So he said, well, I got to make up a name then. So he's like, say it's Clint Bobsky. So we went to the phones and was like, okay, we've got Clint Bobsky calling from Winnipeg. And Jericho just howled. And this has been like their inside joke. Bobsky, amazing. Wow. Yes. So this was definitely Chris Jericho producing this thing. So <laughs> this woman <laughs> – says that she knew <laughs> listen to this line i just thought it was so funny she knew chris was going to grow up to become the AEW champion i just thought <laughs> it was just it was just delivered so well and it was just the funniest fucking line and then she's like and i know he's going to beat the shit out of cody <laughs> uh, they cut to jake hager and he just doesn't talk that's his thing he does not talk and Jericho ends it by saying, Cody's got meetings all day on su- on Saturday. All I've got to do is have a bit of the bubbly. This was among the funniest things I have seen in wrestling this year. I thought this was awesome. This was so great. I also love that they kept like the audience mic. Yes, on. that was so good because you got the legitimate laughter, which yeah. made this. Yeah, you, that you, was really great. You definitely need, needed a, a laugh track. I mean, you didn't need it, but it certainly helped because I think... This was played up so straight that, you know, if you didn't see the Cody thing, you might mistaken this for something that was somewhat serious. And that, I love that. I love that because it was like when, when they, SNL will, will do like the, the digital sketch, but they'll keep the crowd the, like they'll keep the, the crowd there so that yeah. you get the laughs built into a pre-produced piece. You know, these jokes were not obvious. They were subtle and they require work Ugh. and they make the joke so much better because you feel like they're talking to a very specific – they're rewarding an audience for paying attention for a long time. And they're not talking down to you assuming that you're an idiot that needs every single joke explained to you. Uh, this was – man, this was fantastic. And it really felt like it came from the mind of Chris Jericho and maybe with a, a lot of collaboration perhaps with, with a number of people as well. I really hope to see more of this style of like comedy in, in the future with AEW because – I don't know if you would really get it in too many other other professional wrestling promotions. This was like a really well produced, like there was production value to this. It was it had Virgil, legitimately dude. funny. It was just, yeah. it, this was so well produced. And this is not something that just anyone could throw together in wrestling. Like this was a really, this was very well written too. It was very well done. I, I, I and I love, I really hope that Virgil has found himself a permanent role in AEW because, uh, especially this version of Virgil, um, you know, they've AEW has already brought cult favorites like Orange Cassidy to national TV. I think it's time to do the same for Fuck Money Virgil. He was great here. Do you think instead of Soul Train Jones that you could have kept the j- the joke going more and just I uh, keyed him as Paul? Oh wow! Um, and he's That'd just gone funny. through all the names now. Like he is, he has been Virgil <laughs> to Vincent. He was Shane for a while. And oh. it, to me, if you had just put the key up as you don't even have to keep this name, but just for that, that would have gotten a laugh. It would have taken a bit of thinking, but you're right. Yeah, I sure. think everyone would have. This crowd, the way they reacted to like these lines, I think everyone would have gotten that fairly quick. Soul Train anyway. Jones, I don't mind though. It's 
as long as it's him, as as long as it's it's the man talking the way he he he's been talking these several years, I, I will take him in any incarnation. Yeah, I I just really enjoyed that you got your awesome go home promo from Cody, and then this was awesome too in a totally different way um, for the Chris Jericho character that I I I really thought that they were just so different, but I really enjoyed it. And okay, well, what do you think about maybe? The ine- inevitable criticism out there that might go towards this saying that it babyfaces Chris Jericho. Uh, I don't. I thought it just made him look like it's it's this character that he's been playing, and the inner circle is going to run that risk, and that that's always going to be something they're fighting. But I think yeah, the big this- difference is that like Cody is such a good babyface that. Chris Jericho being this entertaining doesn't necessarily make you want to cheer him over Cody. You still want to see Cody beat this. I'd guy. be stunned if they had to fight that crowd on on Saturday. Oh, like certainly. it should be ninety five to a hundred percent for Cody. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, also worth noting for people that the uh, Soul Train Jones was Virgil's like moniker pre WWF in Memphis, so that's why they they went with it. But cool, Paul could have been a a good punchline, I think. Uh, so from that. Um, we've continued with uh, a recap of the attacks by Santana and Ortiz on the Rock and Roll Express and the Young Bucks from last week, and also announcing that right after the show, they'd be premiering a AEW countdown special on YouTube. So I'd be okay. curious to see that and how that turns out. Um, Riho and uh, the returning Shayna. Shanna, J- Shayna? Shanna, yeah, Shanna, sorry. Uh, against Emi Sakura and Jamie Hayter. And earlier in the day, they announced Rio and Sakura for the AEW women's title on Saturday. No real explanation, though, as to why. No. She won a match on YouTube, on, on yeah. AEW Dark. So she best, had one win. At best, she's 1-0, and does that qualify somebody to to you know to, to be in title contention? I, 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 I thought you could have just announced it right after this match. Oh, per- completely. Completely. Yeah. So I don't know I, why we needed it out this afternoon. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable... Uh, Criticism because they, they make a big deal of that, and she she won one match on AEW Dark, and they announced that, and then you know you did this. So anyway, um, I, I thought this match went really long. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say fr- from you know typically on Dynamite, I think the pacing like this show just breezes by. But I will say from like the Dark Order match with Private Party to this, and even the Cutler Spears match after this is the first time like I did find the the show dragging. I don't, I don't disagree. I, I've actually kind of felt this way, especially if you watch Dark, where I, I think a lot of those matches can be a little bit too long as well. Um, I felt that way this week. I also found myself like wondering a lot more about what was going on at NXT this week, following yes. you know the the ongoing you know uh, invasion angles on Raw and SmackDown. So I'm really curious to know maybe what the tune-up factor might have been for for this week. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to ruin anything for you. Can we can we say who was on NXT? Uh, okay, spoiler oh, that, alert. That, that's a no. That, never mind. No, you. Can, I I know what happened. I, I just, you know, spoiler alert, everybody. Tune, skip 30 seconds. Okay. We're so AJ, AJ Styles and Gallows and Anderson showed up. So, and that happened relatively early in the show, which I thought was very smart because people, I think this week especially, are tuning into NXT out of curiosity. And NXT's got some momentum coming off these last couple of episodes. And by having them come early... It also leads you to wonder, is anyone else showing up as well? So, yeah, yeah I think that this week, I'm I'm very curious what the numbers are for this week. I, I think it's going to be 
much closer this week. I do sense that with with NXT gaining some ground coming off of especially SmackDown and to a lesser extent Raw. Yeah, I don't see, you know, a, a complete swing of, of the tide, but I certainly see NXT gaining a lot, hopefully, than or uh, perhaps. But then. Both should be up a lot without the World Series this week. Um, I guess I meant the difference, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, I think yeah. it's going to be close. I, I, I do feel it will be. So the heels dominated Riho during the break. Then uh, Arana sends uh, Sakura to the floor, and Shanna hits a double cross body onto both women on the floor. Uh, Sakura hit a double underhook driver, or sorry, it was Shanna that hit the double underhook driver. Sakura kicked out of that. Uh, Hater came in with a lariat to Shanna, and then a kick out as Rio was late on the save, so instead they just had Shanna kick out. Vader bomb by Sakura, and then Rio broke up the cover, double foot stomp, and then the final 30 seconds saw Rio and Sakura uh, go through this really quick sequence of near falls, ending with uh, Lamahi Straw Cradle by Sakura to pin the champion and sets up our title match for Saturday. I think beyond the issue of them, like not, you know, announcing the the title match before this, which I, announcing this right afterwards with Sakura getting the win over Riho would have you wouldn't have had anybody question it. And I think you would have maintained the integrity of this like point system that you, you're trying to set up. Um, I thought all four women look here good, looked good here, but I, I did feel the match was a little long considering how little we know about any of the participants, and I include Riho in that. I, I have to say I've been pretty disappointed with the lack of uh, build and the lack of storytelling they've done for Riho after winning the belt. You know, what happened to those subtitled vignettes, you know, that, that, that worked really well, I thought, the one time that they did it for Riho. And trying to build Sakura in one week's time, really good luck. But they do have a really easy to tell story. You know, it's the teacher versus the student. But they just, I don't know if this match was just planned late, but they don't have enough time to tell that story now. And it's hard to really look at this match uh, as anything but another showcase for Riho, which could be fine. I just don't have that much interest for it. It seems like, you know, most of their efforts were put behind B. Priestley versus uh, Britt Baker, which is taking place on the kickoff. So, um, in terms of story, I'm more interested in that one, and I, I am disappointed that they haven't done more with Riho. Yeah, and I I hope they get a really hot reaction to the match on Saturday, but I it, it's hard to say because I don't think I think they if they're on early they might they might struggle with the crowd. We'll we'll see. I think the crowd plays a big factor in that match getting over uh, for the reasons that you outlined. I'm also not really sure like why Sakura. I know why she does, like, the We Will Rock You stuff. Yeah, it's, like, her gimmick to do Freddie Mercury. But, like, she's been playing heel all match. And then she does the the We Will Rock You, which this audience starts to immediately boo. Um, I guess I, I, unless it's an attempt to get the audience to boo her, which I didn't really sense. Um, I don't know. that All of that is is still really a little confusing to me and I think requires at least... I want to hear her, like, cut a promo. I want to, you know see a bit more from her other than besides like a couple in-ring appearances. Then we had a pre-produced feature with Brandy Rhodes. She is seated drinking a glass of brandy with the outfit that she was uh, putting on last week with the, with the veil and having this really uh, like devilish kind of a presentation to her. And she says that she was dismissed because of who she is. She's only here because of Cody. She says she knows about dreams and nightmares, but there's nothing like a night terror. And meanwhile, there's like 
uh, flickering shots of Kong appearing. She says that between her body and my brain, they are going to dismantle everybody and asks, who are the bullies now? Mm -hmm. Promo I thought was good. I thought it looked really cool, but it still feels really out of left field without a very satisfying explanation as to why this was happening or who even this promo was directed towards. Like I'm, who, who do you think he's, she's even talking to? I'm, is it, is it Allie? Is it somebody else? Or are we not supposed to know? Uh, she's maybe just, it's just a grand address to everybody, putting everyone on notice. So she attacked, the monster is coming. She attacked who like backstage that time. Jamie Hader. She got into her face. Right. But that's obviously not leading to anything. Because Jamie yeah. Hader just appeared. She, she represents all the haters out there. <laughs> I guess so. You know what, like, what it feels like is that they have just done a hard stop on how they were presenting Brandy before. I think in a perfect world, they could have not had her out and on TV yet, and this would be the introduction of Brandy coming in totally different. Mm-hmm. Almost like October second was the official launch, and. Instead, you've seen her as this role. This would be like Stephanie McMahon all of a sudden cutting these uh, maniacal Father Jim Mitchell promos. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it looks great. She looks great uh, in, in this new getup. And I, I thought she did really well with this. Yeah. Like, I, I think ultimately she's going to get this across. It's just getting the uh, the memory because everyone knows what Brandy sounds like. And it's been a it's just it's like a JBL shift. Where all of a sudden overnight, he is now the, uh, the yeah. this rich millionaire uh, sure. after being a beer drinker. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, the transition has been very awkward, but I, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the in-ring could work. Brandon Cutler, Sean Spears. This featured uh, Tully Blanchard in his corner and Spears wearing a shirt. No more garbage wrestling. Okay. Uh they showed a video. I have not been keeping up with AEW Dark, but yeah, they th- some of the things I've been missing are Tully and Sean Spears attacking Joey Janela and attempting to rip his tongue out with pliers. And this demanded a follow-up of how Joey Janela escaped this. Uh, which they didn't show. Um, no, but we saw J- Janela come out at the end of this match and they confirmed his tongue is still in his mouth. <laughs> They, I think they I how, think, what happened here? This is like the end of a Batman episode. I mean, I guess they just, this, this was like playing off of, I believe, um, a brief interaction that Joey Janela had with Tully and, and Sean Spears like a month or two ago on one of these web only shows. I, I think it was road Two, where I guess Janela threw his cigarette into like Tully's drink or something like that. And this was like Spears and Tully getting revenge by, um, Wanting to rip out Janela's tongue, um. So I, they needed something, <laughs> and I guess this is what they came up with. But you're kind of right; it, it maybe demands a bit more. the The ultimate goal, I, I, guess I is- actually am doing this not just because there's there's just so much wrestling out there, but I've actually thought that there there might be something productive to not watching AEW Dark and just watching this for the majority of the audience that is mm-hmm. not watching both sure. of what, what connects and what doesn't. So, yeah, um, this was, you're right. I, I think Absolutely. they, they have to do a better job of treating 
AEW Dark, even like at the peak of Sunday Night Heat, where that would set up stuff for Raw, mm-hmm. but being able to bridge the two. And I, I don't think they've done a tremendous job with that in the, the month that they've been doing it. I'm really curious to know maybe how a segment like that might might have been put together. Um, because the way it feels right now, it feels like a lot of people are just kind of suggesting their own things and then maybe getting a camera and shooting and putting it out there with the hope that somehow it'll all tie in together. And I think the show could definitely benefit with a bit of like, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe executive production, somebody to overlook everything to make sure that it makes sense as a whole to especially somebody who might not be paying attention to AEW Dark. Uh, something like this, while, you know, might have been a cool segment on its own on a web only thing, mm, definitely feels like it's a little bit rushed. And maybe if you're especially just tuning it to, to tuning into it in highlight form, maybe a little bit confusing. Uh, Dillinger, or sorry, Spears mockingly did the 10 sign uh, to Cutler in the corner. Cutler hit him with a flying drop kick. Uh, they sent out their well wishes to Jerry Lynn, who's one of their agents, and um, don't know what's going on with him. He had posted that he won't be able to go to StarCast this week. He was asking for everyone's prayers, but um, should have an update on Tuesday. So obviously hope all is uh, okay with Jerry Lynn. And then it ended with a bicycle kick, Death Valley Driver by Spears in 313. Brought a chair into the ring afterwards to further attack Cutler when Janela ran him off, and that ended the segment. So I guess this could potentially be added on Saturday. Um. Or it's just going to happen on TV. <laughs> Spear, sorry, this would be Spears and Janela. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, I don't know if you need... Like, the card is pretty full, isn't it? Do they, do they need to add another one? I think we have, like, seven matches. But that includes the... Uh, at this pre-show. point, at this point, I don't know how much, you know, a Janela-Spears uh, match would, would really add to the show. Like, maybe better... Sort of- oh, they, it's it's listed here on, on the Wikipedia page. Janela versus Spears. So I don't know if they... Um, no, for the show itself. Okay. All right. Whatever. Sure. Um, I'll see if they officially announced that. You know, I, I really do. I, I like the length of this one. It, to me, this didn't really feel as long. And I think the point was simply to make Spears look strong. I, and I really think somebody like Brandon Cutler is the perfect guy in a scenario, scenario like this. He's, he's skinny, but he's tall. So he, he's like the right size to make somebody like Spears look bigger and Spears beating him up just made him look tougher and i think spears has just done a really great job of like reinvent reinventing himself as this like much meaner version uh of himself than the character he used to play in the wwe all right uh from there we had a video uh on the omega moxley program this featured old photos of john moxley and then a very uh, dramatized scene of John Moxley emerging from his hospital bed and ripping the IV drip out of his arm. That was probably from the video, right? The highlight video or like the initial video by um, of him busting through 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 the jail or was this created? Something? I would have to think this was new because it was like so specific to his uh, to, to the infection he got. Oh, OK. So they somehow staged this. I guess so. I don't think this is a real IV trip he was ripping out. Well, I mean, like, they they went through the effort of, like, staging, like, a hospital for him to to do this. Interesting. Maybe maybe more of this footage was shot for other material or for the countdown show, and this was just a clip of something. Interesting. Yeah, it was like a dramatization of... (laughs) It's a little over the top. ...the hospital. Yes. 
Uh, we also saw some old deathmatch clips. Like, r- really, the promise here is that you're going to see tons of violence in this match. Yeah, you're going to see, like, CZW John Moxley. And then the main event, Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara against Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Uh, for Guevara's entrances now, they'll cut to his phone as he uh, is uh, the, the Tyler Breeze, vlogging. The Tyler Breeze. Yeah, they, yeah, they've just updated the Tyler Breeze entrance here. It, it works for him. I mean, it's, it, it is a ripoff of the Tyler Breeze thing, but... I think it works for for Guevara too. Being the vlogger makes him stand out. He's he's somebody who's gained so much in such a short amount of time in AEW. You know, essentially he is he's been selected as Jericho's second, joining him in a lot of these main events and getting to showcase a, a lot of his personality at these major angles each week. Jericho comes out with Jake Hager, and they mentioned Jericho's going to be in the studio on Inside the NBA on uh, Thursday night. Okay, so that's a. Nice cross-promotion on TNT. So we come back from break after the entrances, and Jericho's on the mic calling everyone assholes, which leads to the crowd chanting, we are assholes. All right. Huh. I guess uh, he's taking that from Ken Anderson. Or somebody the else. Assholes. Yeah. Jericho won't start with Omega, so Hangman's in and hits a bridging fallaway slam on Guevara for a two-count. Jericho... They, so he's got he, Jericho's in the ring and he has Hangman Page and he's setting him up for like an Irish whip, and they just cut to the turnbuckle camera right as he's like leaning in to whisper something to Page, and it was just just bad timing on the cut right there because it was impossible to not notice. Guevara did a springboard into a, an Omega drop kick. Uh, one thing that I'm fine with nicknames, but Jim Ross was really going overboard with. Sammy G, and that would be fine, but I don't think you want any kind of a comparison to Shorty G right now, and that's all I could think of when I heard Sammy G. I didn't really think about that myself. Oh, um, it's, it was the first thing I thought of, and he was like, he was saying it repeatedly, like trying to get it over. And again, I don't mind nicknames, but to me, this, <laughs> it's way too uh, comparable to a, a character that is not a positive. Hmm. I'm guessing he. I mean, I took it to, to mean he just didn't really want to say Guevara every time. I'm sure that's why what it was, but I think just it it just to me came too similar to Shorty G, Skinny G, Skinny G, Skinny Jeans. Yeah, yeah. Jericho stops the Terminator dive. Uh, then Kenny gets free. He goes for the dive again. Hager nails him from the apron. They get the heat on Omega throughout the break. Then he fights back. He hits the dive onto Guevara and Hager. Then Hangman hits his moonsault to the floor that he's got to hit in every single match. Buckshot Lariat is stopped when Pac shows up and kicks Page low. And referee Aubrey Edwards missed a low blow, allowing Jericho to hit the Judas effect and pin Page. I really like this uh, as a TV match. Very cool finish. Um, you know, heats up Pac versus Page and gives Jericho a heelish, you know, cowardly win heading into the pay-per-view. Yeah, so, you know, good, good, well-worked tag. I thought Jericho and Guevara had a lot of great chemistry. Like, it's just, Jericho is a really great faction leader with these younger guys. I think everyone's benefiting greatly from being with Jericho. And you can already, how, how quick did Jake Hager shed the Jack Swagger label? I think it's gone. Yeah, one week, really. Like, he, he, he brings a great deal of star power and obviously creativity and promo ability and everybody beneath him is benefiting from it. You know, you you see what it's done. Like I mentioned, to, for Guevara, for for um, uh, Hager, and even Santana and Ortiz, who 
haven't really maybe had as much maybe talking time as Guevara. Um, but like they've they've definitely been a presence. So they've done a really great job of, I think, establishing all of these inner circle members. So the post-match, this was just bedlam. Cody runs in, clears the ring. Jericho and Hager are going up the ramp to leave when MJF shows up and attacks them with chair shots, sending Jericho into the ring to take a crossroads. And then Cody grabs the title and holds it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that mean he's, he's not getting it on Saturday way? I don't know. We'll find out what their philosophy is when it comes to champions or challengers holding the physical belt. So then John Moxley comes through the crowd with a barbed wire bat and he's coming in to face off with Omega, but then Jericho attacks Cody and Omega bails. Omega though is only going to get his weapon, the barbed wire broom. And he gets in and they're staring off. This barbed wire broom is ridiculous. It's it is very silly. I mean, it just looks so silly. And this was this was supposed to be like a serious standoff going into the big match. And I, I mean, just, you, but it, but it's symbolic for him. Oh, it's he needs a new weapon. He he had the guy was pretty associated with a bat for a, for a long period where he would walk out with that too. They could just both have bats. I think it. I, I understand what it represents, but I just it looks silly, and I understand the reference. But the audience reacts really well to it. Santana and Ortiz then jump Moxley, and this leads to the Bucks running down to an enormous pop, super kick, suicide dives to Santana and Ortiz. Then Omega saves Matt from being powerbombed off the stage because they brawled all the way up there, and Kenny hits a V-trigger. Moxley hits a paradigm shift, taking out Ortiz and Santana. Then Omega and Moxley stare at each other, and they brawl. The place goes nuts. They go to the back, and then everyone is still brawling. It's the inner circle members are out there. The Bucks are there, and then uh, MJF is also out there. Cody's there. Nick hits a swanton off the entrance, uh, and it's just left with a four-on-four standoff, further teasing that whatever they're going to call their version of war games as – they brawl to end the show. Just uh, an insane end. And we got the classic Jim Ross go-home call here to go into the pay-per-view. And I thought Jim Ross, the call at the end here was fantastic. I thought the end of the show here was excellent. You know, they just kept stacking and stacking and stacking. I think they've, they've proven to to be really good at, at do, doing these closing segments. But this was the biggest test because this was their first go-home show going into a pay-per-view. And I thought they they hit it out of the park. In five minutes, this immediately told me all the main matches that were about to take place on Sunday, and they did it in a really intense, entertaining way that heightened my interest for all of the matches that they showcased here between the elite and you know various members uh, of, of the heel roster. So I think it, it proves that they know how to do these great, uh, like a really good hot go-home segment. Yeah, great end. I thought this was really well done, and... Th- it's clear they're going to some kind of war games match with the inner circle and the elite. And maybe that's their next pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that works. Is it too close to the other war games? Uh, I wonder. Could you, could you see them doing it on that Thanksgiving episode of AEW, which is just days after the WWE's version? No, 
I think that's too close. And I think that would just like draw way too many comparisons. And do you, you know, I, and I, I'm, well, they'd have to come up with their own idea of the match. They they obviously can't call it war games. And I think they'd have to make it different enough. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm almost positive that like one or both of those takeover war games matches are going to be amazing. And, you know, I, I personally wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I think you can do any type of five on five. You don't need to do necessarily a, an exact replica of War Games. They they do need to set up something major for that Thanksgiving week because that's at the Sears Center, right? And they've not sold out the Sears Center, so I could mm-hmm. see them, you know, doing this pay per view and then almost treating that Thanksgiving episode. I guess it's Thanksgiving Eve technically in the states uh, that Wednesday night of doing something big for the Sears Center. So maybe mm-hmm. that's where they're where they're going next with some kind of Inner Circle versus Elite match. So there you go. That was Dynamite. And let's head on over to the forum. On a scale of 1 to 10, Way, where do you think this one's going? You know, I, I thought the show overall, no individual match was really all that great. And I, no. I, I don't feel all that strongly about the build to m- many of the matches on the undercard. But I thought everything related to the main event was done really well. The final five minutes were excellent. So I think the board will give this maybe a 7. I thought seven as well. 7.75. Okay. Higher so. than I thought. Brandon from Oshawa. Really good show this week. I just wish we had more matches built up for full gear on these episodes of Dynamite. We saw nothing from Baker Priestley, and I believe this is the first week we've seen anything from Spears Janella. I hope after full gear with a couple months before the next big show, we get more of a showcase on the lower card feuds. I've really enjoyed Shanna and Jamie Hayter. They've been great additions to the women's roster and have shown me more than Britt Baker has. Uh, question. I read some stuff during the show about TSN moving AEW to the main channel and that they've been getting better ratings than SmackDown. Is there any truth to that? Do you know what the numbers have been like here in Canada? I haven't seen the recent numbers. I know that on TSN's website, they have after the end of October where it's all listed at TSN two, then they list it as just TSN. And I asked about this the other day. They've only programmed it through the end of October. So it's, TSN, where it lists just TSN, that's just like the default that they have on the schedule. So it could be on TSN too. It could be elsewhere, but it's not, it's not known yet. So there is no official move to TSN one coming up. We're going to Brad, the archivist who says that was by far the best promo of Cody's career. I'm super excited for their match at full gear, even more so now. And Jericho comes back with that hilarious feature video on top of it. On top of it, some might say it made a mockery out of the Tuttle match with all the joking around, but I loved it. Franking and Excalibur with the line of the night when Cass said, "What a maneuver!" And Excalibur comes right back with, "Will you stop?" Hmm. Uh, of the women I've seen so far, Jamie Hader seems to have the most charisma and feels like a natural heel. I hope she gets a push next. The matches this week weren't anything memorable, but still quality all around. All right, Varouge from Phoenix. This is how you do a go-home show. When did Cody become the best promo in the business? Every promo he's done with AEW has been perfect. Every emphasized word, every voice inflection, every selling point, perfect. He's fantastic. And then juxtaposes promo with the Jericho video package. There's no reason no reason that shift in tone in the same program on the same episode of TV should work this well, but they pulled it off anyway. That entire package was funnier than any cuck angle WWE has tried to make us laugh at the last few months. AEW's storytelling, while still in its infancy, is top-notch. Great episode. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Stay dope, y'all. Varouche with the, with the best reaction video, too, that he sent us this week. Yes, that's right. 
Uh, Ryan from Northern Ontario says, My only complaint I have is that they should have shown him Trent's foot was on the ropes. A replay would have helped because the angle didn't show enough. Well, I don't know if his foot actually was on the ropes. I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Um, so I don't unless know. I missed it. And the camera was like on the other side. It was showing the shoulder. Like the camera wasn't on his foot or the rope. So you didn't even see that angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, JT from Manchester, UK. Pack and Trent was fantastic. Uh, fantastic way to start the show. Wild brawl. It was a fantastic way to end the show. What came in the middle almost didn't matter, but everything was solid at worst and seemed to serve a purpose. Cody's promo was fire. And if anyone just watched this show and isn't buying full gear after that, I'm not sure they like wrestling. Surely, though, Jericho's not dropping the belt so soon, and Cody's not never challenging for it the whole future of AEW. How do they get themselves out of this without Helena selling themselves? How did they get out of this? Um, hmm. I feel you're getting a winner and a loser. You yeah. you have the option of doing uh, the turn, and someone costs us with Cody, and that becomes his detour feud. Um, but yeah, you've uh, it's going to be an interesting... Uh, way that they do this because yeah you've in essence backed yourselves into a corner and how they uh, come out of this and I, I feel that it will be something satisfactory I see Jericho hope. I see Jericho keeping it and I see Cody sticking to the stipulation for maybe not the entirety of his career but I think for a long time um, and I think that would prove that AEW you know could stick to big stipulations and that anything can happen when you suggest something like this. Cause maybe the automatic feeling is that, Oh, of course Cody's going to win because he's not going to not challenge for that belt, you know, for that long. But I think it would be, AEW would be perfectly fine if Cody never won that championship. Um, so I, I, I see Jericho winning. Yeah. I think the positive to it is that it can build up to such a, momentous moment when Cody finally achieves it because of this long chase to get back to it. The, the other part is though, is that like this guy's to me, clear, clearly the top baby face in this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to keep him away from that? Like in theory, you want to have your top baby face, uh, if not with the title chasing for the title at some point, but if you have a great story crafted out, then you could maybe serve both. I think that story will be better, though, let's say two to three years down the line. You know, having Cody win it right now, I don't think would be that as big of a, a deal. You know, it, it the struggle wouldn't have been as big for him. But yeah, we'll see. We got a Jay from Colorado who says the line of the night was Chris Jericho is the youngest AEW champion in history. That entire Jericho parody of the Cody segment was gold. And speaking of Cody, what a fantastic promo. My wife, who isn't a wrestling fan but has watched her fair share of it, was even impressed and commented that everything you needed to know about that feud was in that promo. Another very quick two hours. And after that superb closing segment, I'm more excited for full gear now than ever. Okay, Paul from New Jersey. Watching this show made me think of that Long Island crowd from Raw. What a night and day difference. The audience is rabid. Sometimes I find Cody to be a little boring on the mic, but he hit it out of the park tonight. I nominate Jericho's video for best comedy bit of the year. We go to McGuire, who says the women's tag match was excellent. My lord, Riho can take a lot of punishment. I really like Jamie Hayter as the bully of the women's mid-card. Some of her work seems sloppy, but she's got the size and power that the division is currently lacking and can play to the crowd. What's with the refs? Seemed like a botch at the end of Pac Trent. Say what you will about WWE, but at least they can get one, two, three right. The audience continues to put everything over the top. Looking forward to Saturday. Keep up the great work. 
Nikita from Lloydminster. What a fun show. Excellent promos and engaging matches. Jamie Hayter and Shanna have definitely left an impression on me, and I can't wait to see more from them. The Brandy angle is still confusing, but I'll hold judgment until I see how it plays out. Nice to see them incorporate the dark stuff with Janelle and Spears and using it to build some feuds. We go to uh, The Wolf, who says, Jamie Hayter was a standout for me. I really like her personality and how she handles herself. Cody's promo was fantastic, and the Jericho promo was fantastic as well. I love how they learn... They lean in enough to be playful with us. But at the end of the night, I also saw him as a legitimate threat. Very tough balance to get, but I feel they did it well. Matt from Toronto thought this was a great go-home show for AEW. As a lifelong WWE guy who's frustrated with the product, it's nice to be rewarded for giving the alternative a chance. I still think there's a lack of character building and storytelling for most of the mid-card as well as the women's division, which is something we should be seeing by now. But it's hard to deny how hot the top acts are, the Jericho video is hilarious. Eight Putins out of ten. Noah from Vaughn, huge shout out to those women tonight. Excellent tag match, and I believe Hater is going to be a huge star. Wow, a lot of uh, praise for Jamie Hater. Uh, he he says I'm so ex- so hyped for Full Gear on Saturday, and that Jericho promo was the funniest thing I've seen all year. You guys got to check out the countdown show they put on YouTube. It is excellent. Man, how did someone watch it this quickly? I, gu- I guess it has been almost two hours since the show ended. Uh. AEW's first go-home episode was really good. They made each match, minus the women's, feel special going into the pay-per-view, and I'm overly excited for all of them. I want to talk about NXT for one second. I've noticed you guys continue talking about moving wrestlers up to the main roster, but I think it's time to stop looking at NXT as the D-League. You just had Cole and Ciampa go over Brian and Miz respectfully. Cole then went toe-to-toe with the former Universal Champion and looked good. NXT is on the same level, and I think it's time it's treated as such by everyone. Um, I guess he's referring to what we talked about with Shayna Baszler, because I don't know how much we've talked about people moving there. Um, okay. I do th- I do feel uh, ultimately Shayna is going to be moving, and I don't think you necessarily have to look at that as a promotion or a demotion, um, but I do think you will see movement. And, it, and there should be movement when necessary, when someone's finished up one place and they can be refreshed elsewhere, whether it's Balor, whether it's Shayna Baszler. I would also add that, you know, let's not forget the fact that there are way more people watching Raw and SmackDown. And if somebody really catches fire on NXT, I I still feel that ultimately the WWE will want them on the biggest stage so that they can, you know, appeal to the biggest crowds and freshen up those divisions on Raw and SmackDown who I think could really use somebody like Shayna Baszler. And I think Shayna Baszler's stock will rise even more if she's portrayed in a positive light on Raw, or SmackDown. So I still believe that there are going to be elements of the call-up, even if it, you know, might happen less than in the past. Absolutely. Like, that's, it's still going to be where you make the the most sizable money money is going to be Raw and SmackDown. And you have an entire performance center full of people that you're going to be feeding onto NXT. And there's only so many of those spots that if no one's leaving, then that's, going to clog up the whole system there as well to me that's been one of the the best parts of of nxt and and what's made it so fresh repeatedly is that you constantly have people moving up to that main event filling in those spots and you know giving you new matchups every single month all right let's do uh let's do two more we got a John from Nashville who says, Another fun episode of Dynamite. Dynamite never feels like a chore to watch. The only bad thing I saw was the botch ref spot in the Pac-Trent match. I do wonder if Pac was supposed to pin him after the Black Arrow or if it was supposed to be 
rolling him rolling over. Uh, the women's tag match was, pro- was probably the best women's match in AEW. I've not been a big fan of the women women's division thus far. My question is, have you enjoyed the women's division? If not, is it due to the matches not clicking or maybe not due, due to not having strong enough characters? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's been a failure, but it hasn't been a, a standout part of the show yet. I don't think they we've seen that that true like blow away match either that is the kind of match that just gets everybody uh, behind a particular – even Rio when she won the title from Nyla Rose. I, I don't think she's done it in such a way where she's this – I think she could be much bigger as a baby face and maybe that just takes – you know with some of the items that weigh isolated as well of just building her up a bit more. Certainly. You know, it feels like a lot of the promotional effort has been put behind Britt Baker. And, you know, uh, understandably, because I think she she can perhaps she maybe she can cut a promo in English. OK, let's just be honest. And um, she's she was on the roster, I guess, earlier than Riho. I, I do feel like there's a real disconnect between, you know, sort of like your Joshi women and then maybe the rest of the roster. And I think that's a puzzle they still have to solve or at least devote more time to, you know, uh, fixing. I still know very little about Riho. Um, And the matches have been good to fine. Um, But if you're comparing this women's division to, let's say, the NXT women's division, I don't think there's much of a comparison. I look at that NXT women's division and I can tell you something about every single one of those characters. And, you know, to the point where they're all so over to the point where you can put them all into like a closing segment like we saw last week. And I haven't seen this week yet, but you know, it, you could put them all together in a war games type of scenario and everybody, you can tell the motivation for every single character. Granted, they've had a lot more TV to tell like the stories of somebody like a Shayna Baszler, but I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's a big gulf in term to me in terms of quality between uh, the storytelling of the NXT women's division and, and AEW's. Last word goes to Milt. What's good, guys? First time posting. I was there live tonight at AEW. By the way, Bojangles is a fried chicken fast food restaurant, and it's amazing. The show was amazing. The best part was the Cody promo. The crowd loved every moment of every match. They were completely into it. The slowest part of the night would have had to have been the women's tag match. You guys get me through work, so thanks for that. Love ya. Your boy, Milt. Well, thank you, Milt. Um, Yes. I had a great time at the Bojangles Coliseum. Yeah. Your personality really comes across when you type Milt, so please post more often. Uh, Last question. How did you feel they handled, um, you know, for the final uh, setup for Omega and Moxley? Mm -hmm. Um, What did you think of the final build tonight? Did you think it required a promo from either of them? And do you see it going on last on Saturday? I mean, I thought I thought like the hottest I was for that program was last week after Moxley's promo. So I certainly wanted more of a response from Omega. I yeah. thought the video was just kind of generic, didn't really do a whole lot for me to heighten my interest. And I would say like whatever story they've been trying to tell with Kenny has been somewhat, I don't know, not all that clear. And I'm a little disappointed maybe at the intensity of that. I think the brawls have been really good. But I, I was expecting a bit more in terms of like personal reasons why these two want to hate each other, want to fight each other. And considering that they've had what two months, how many months to build this thing? Wait, this was the angle. Double or Moxley showed up at double or nothing yeah. in May. So considering all that, I, I I'm a little disappointed that I'm you know this feud doesn't have a bit more substance to it. It really to me is a match 
kind of like built off of just the star power attached. Yeah, it's um you know, the brawl at the end was good. I think people really got into that and the like the the stare down and then the brawling. Uh but I I could have used a promo from especially I think Omega. I think mm-hmm. the the response from last week uh could have been helpful. If you remember like when they were supposed to do this match, didn't Kenny cut that promo? On he did the t- he did the tape promo right after the staff infection, and remember they're doing the sit down with him, and he was like, "Keep the camera rolling," and he just cut this promo on Moxley. Yeah, like something like that. I think was would have been great on this particular show, like in place of that video segment, just to just to hear Kenny like Kenny go because like Moxley went I, last week. It so. feels watching he has struggled between this character that he was doing on being the elite versus. How much of that do I take to television? And it just seems to have been this compromise on TV that people are not quite sure what version of the, himself he is playing and hasn't really focused his his story on John Moxley specifically. It's almost as though John Moxley is out to kill this guy and Kenny Omega is just kind of doing all this other stuff. Yes, I agree. And this kind of goes into maybe what you and I were discussing last week with like as much as you know as much as the undertale stuff i thought was was a real hit um what if you had done the undertale video but it had something about his journey to john moxley like if that was the 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 thread mm-hmm. i i i don't i have no complaints about that yeah. just to me it was like it was just a different story i really had no issue with the the video game or the presentation but it was it was not attached to moxley in any way I agree. It was it. I thought it was a hit in terms of like it being a viral sensation, but it it did very little for the actual story of this pay per view match that I think was was the immediate focus. Um, you know, in the end, you could have done both. You could have achieved yeah, both. I think in the end, this match has a lot of anticipation for it either way. Like the first time they were doing this match, they didn't even have TV. Um, so I think this match kind of sells itself, but it would have been that much better had they told a great story attached to it. Look at the work they've done with Cody and Jericho. How mm-hmm. how much more excited we are for that match, not just because it might be good in ring, but because it feels more important than just somebody getting a win. I I I feel like with the time they had with Jericho and uh, sorry with Moxley and Omega, they could have gotten there, but they haven't. Would you? What would you put on last? Certainly Jericho Cody. Yeah, without a doubt. Even if Jericho's winning, yes. I mean, that's got the biggest stakes attached to it, and I, I sense it's got the most interest going into it of any of the matches. Well, we will see on Saturday night. Uh, Way and I will have a post-show uh, late Saturday. If you are a double-double ice cap or espresso member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you can tune in, um, I guess we'll say around 11 p.m. Eastern time, approximately, when the show ends. We will be going live, so you can tune into that, and we'll be taking your phone calls. So Saturday night, full gear post-show. Yes, forward to it. Yes, we're all double double pa- patrons. So, uh, patreon.com slash post wrestling is where you can go. Uh, we've also got a number of bonus shows up there, including last night we dropped our rewind away covering New Japan Pro Wrestling's new beginning in Osaka 2014. So, stepping back about what is it, four years, five years, five and a half years, five and a half years in time back when uh, the real rock and roller Prince Devitt was still in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, back when. Uh, the Stardust genius Tetsuya Naito was still the Stardust genius. Interesting, interesting, and the Bucks and the Bucks were were there as well. 
Yes, quite a interesting time period in New Japan's history. So you can check that out. Wayne and I will also be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time with the Cafe Hangout with Damian Abraham live in studio for the whole show. Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night. Full gear post show on Saturday. So look forward to all of that great stuff up at postwrestling.com. And we will speak with you then.